This is episode 317 with Doctor of Physical Therapy, Certified Strength and Conditioning Specialist, and the creator of the Movement Vault app, Grayson Wickham. Welcome to the Strength Running Podcast. I'm your host, Coach Jason Fitzgerald, and the goal of this show, strengthrunning.com, and our YouTube channel is to help you better understand the process of improvement. Because when you recognize knowledge as a competitive advantage, you'll be a much better runner. If you're new here, welcome. I'm the head coach of Strength Running, formerly a 239 marathoner, and a monthly columnist for Trail Runner Magazine. On this podcast, I share my insights on the sport and speak with the world's smartest subject matter experts to help you improve. I'm happy to connect anytime, so feel free to email me or you can send me a message on Instagram or YouTube. Now I want to thank our partners who support the show. They're offering you some great discounts, which I hope you'll take advantage of. First is Prevenex, the only supplement company I trust because they're voluntarily putting themselves under more scrutiny and holding themselves to higher standards. Create some health for yourself at Prevenex.com with code Jason15 for 15% off. You're going to love their Joint Health Plus product because it actually works. It reduces joint pain and improves how you feel with clinical double-blinded studies to prove it. Stay tuned until after the show, and I'll share some amazing testimonials from other listeners. You can try it now at Prevenex.com and use code Jason15 for 15% off your purchase. We're also supported by Impossible Sleep, a performance sleep drink to help high performers get the most out of their nightly rest. Impossible Sleep is melatonin-free, and it provides deep recovery while gently lulling you to sleep. And that's a big reason why I like it. Melatonin can make you groggy, so I prefer to skip it whenever possible. There are only two ingredients in Impossible Sleep, making it simple but effective for anybody who struggles to optimize their best recovery tool, sleep. Learn more about it at impossible.co slash Jason, and be sure to use code Jason20. You'll save 20% on your first subscription order, plus you'll get a free sleep kit as a welcome gift. That's impossible.co slash Jason with code Jason20. All right, my guest today is Grayson Wickham. Grayson is a doctor of physical therapy and owner of the Lux Physical Therapy and Medicine Practice in New York. He's a certified strength and conditioning specialist and creator of the Movement Vault app. Grayson has worked with Olympians and professional athletes in the NFL, MLB, CrossFit, and tennis. His specialty includes sports and orthopedic performance and injuries. Today, we're exploring what it means to have an effective mobility practice in your training and why it's so critical for both injury prevention and performance. We talk about mobility versus flexibility, what kind of runners might benefit most from mobility training, his favorite active stretches, and the difference between dynamic stretching, active stretching, and static stretching. By the way, if you're not using an active warm-up for your runs, this is a big area that we discuss on this episode. A dynamic, active warm-up routine is far more effective than static stretching or doing nothing at all, and has been shown to reduce your injury risk. You can download a free guide to our standard warm-up routine at strengthrunning.com warmup. It takes about 10 minutes. It's a collection of dynamic stretches and strength exercises that prime your body for running. Get the guide at strengthrunning.com slash warmup. And now, without further delay, please enjoy my conversation with Grayson Wickham. Show your personality. Certainly tell some jokes if you know any bad running jokes or puns. <laughs> now is the place for that. Uh, and, and we can certainly go off on tangents. You can tell stories about, you know, your own training, anything like that. So, um, you know, don't think this is super formal or you have to, you know, give like super tight, short answers. Cool. Yeah, I'll, I'll definitely, uh, my goal is to, you know, be be a little entertaining, but uh, at the same time, just really dive into, you know, why why people A, need to stretch um, and then why most people are essentially just, if they are taking that commitment to stretch, why they aren't unfortunately doing the correct stretches or doing effective stretches, I should say. So 
yeah, once we kind of dive into the the differences between static stretching and active stretching, I think that's going to be very helpful, especially, I mean, really for everyone. I mean, if you have a body, um, I always say that um, stretching is essentially joint maintenance, right? Just like brushing our teeth is teeth maintenance. So, you know, if we don't brush our teeth, what's going to happen? We're going to, you know, get cavities eventually, our teeth are going to fall out. And so we, most people can wrap their head around what teeth brushing is, you know, it's tooth maintenance, but then, you know, they don't really think about our joints because the feedback loop, we can get away without, you know, stretching a lot longer than we can brushing our teeth, but they're essentially the same thing. Um, so for the running community, it's, it's huge. I worked with tons of runners. Um, I dabble into some running. I, I, you know, I was a runner at one point. Um, I, I still run quite often, you know, like this morning I just ran a nice little three miler just to kind of get things going. Um, but I've done, you know, um, a few half marathons and stuff. So now when you say stretching, uh, what kind of stretching do you mean by that? Yeah. So, so when we look at stretching, we kind of, there's a couple different, a few different like flavors of stretching, right? So the stretching most people are doing is what's called static stretching. So that would be where you stretch out a muscle or a joint and you just kind of relax and hold that stretch, right? So the, the listeners that are watching this, if I just bring my shoulder across my, uh, uh, my chest and kind of pull it in and stretch out my shoulder per se, and just kind of hold this, this would be a static stretch and I'm, I'm moving my camera down. But for the uh, people on the podcast that are listening, if I grab the, you know, back of my, um, my foot and pull my leg up while I'm standing to do kind of the traditional quad stretch, um, which, you know, very common with really anybody, but specifically runners as well. And I just hold that, that would be a static stretch. Um, so then we have active stretching. So an active stretch is where you stretch out a muscle or a joint first, and then you contract those muscles while they're maximally stretched out. And so if we look into the research and why I'm a big proponent for active stretching and not static stretching, because static stretching has been shown to increase injury risk and decrease performance. And so then the question is, okay, so why out of those people that you know, do get the concept, I need to stretch. Why are they still doing static stretching? Um, well, that kind of, you know, falls into a couple different categories. A, because that's just what we were taught growing up, you know, middle school, high school, maybe we played a sport um, and that's what was taught, uh, number one. And so that people just go back to what they're, they're used to. And number two, unfortunately, I see way too much, um, I wouldn't say false, I, I actually would say false information uh, passed down through, you know, influencers, whether it's YouTube, Instagram, TikTok, all that stuff. People are just regurgitating the same message around static stretching because they haven't taken a step back and actually looked at first principles, looked at the actual data and the research behind it. And so that's part of my goal, um, why I'm here doing what I do on earth, not on this podcast, but on earth is to... Uh, you know, not only um, educate people on the importance of stretching for numerous reasons, but also if you are going to stretch, let's make sure we're doing it effectively. Um, because again, static stretching, increase injury risk and decrease performance. That's why most people are stretching. So active stretching is the, is the way to go. And we can dive more into that for sure. Yeah. I'm excited to talk more about active stretching, dynamic stretching, what that actually means. Maybe we can take a step back and, and just start with your background in the industry and why you're so interested in, in all these things like mobility, injury resilience, movement, mobility, all of that. Um, cause I think, you know, your background is certainly very interesting. Sure. Yeah. So, um, I'm a doctor of physical therapy by training. Um, and I've, I've really worked with the whole gamut as far as, you know, when we think about performance, um, I've worked with professional elite athletes, whether it's football, you know, NFL, baseball, MLB, and even some, some professional tennis players, um, in my career, as well as, you know, everywhere in between people that have never, you know, worked out or ran in their life. And like I said, everywhere in between. And so whether you're 85 or you're, you know, 12, I've kind of worked in that spectrum. And so I had a practice for quite a while. Um, you know, I'm really focused on movement fault right now, uh, the app, but in my practice, um, in almost 10, 10 years have my practice, you know, I, I saw people coming in and, I, you know, obviously they're usually seeing me when they have an injury and I'm, I'm starting to see patterns and I'm connecting dots. And, 
what I tell people after seeing, you know, numerous, numerous hundreds and thousands of patients is that most injuries, most pain and injuries can be avoided. And so how are they, how can they be avoided and, you know, what causes them? And essentially what happens is, you know, we're sitting so much as a society. I mean, that's not like a a new thought that's been talked about quite a bit. Um, But you couple that sitting with lack of varied movement throughout the day. And when you have those two things, that becomes a recipe for tight muscles and tight joints because the body adapts to the postures and positions that we spend the most time in, right? So if we're if we're hunched over at your our desk and I'm, I'm doing a posture right now of a rounded upper back, rounded lower back, shoulders are forward, you're not going to become that position per se, you know, in a day, in a week, or even a year. But over time, as you continue to be that position, you will be that position, um, you know, over the, over time. And so, you know, people are coming in and I'm, a lot of people are just sitting at desks all day. And again, some people are working out, some people are not, you know, maybe they're a runner, maybe they do yoga, maybe they do CrossFit, maybe they just work out in the gym and they say, yeah, but I'm working out, you know, 45 minutes an hour a day, four times a week. And then I kind of dive in and, you know, what are their workouts? What kind of stuff are they doing? And what it comes down to is, again, the, the lack of varied movement. Because whether you're a runner or you're a weightlifter, whatever you're doing, it's in a straightforward plane of motion, which we call the sagittal plane. And so most people are just continually going straight and they're not getting enough rotation in, and we're also not getting enough side to side motion in. And so again, over time, the, the body adapts and certain muscles, the stabilizers of the hips, of the shoulders, not only do they become tight, but they come, become weak and they don't have the stability that we need. And even more so on that is we kind of lose some of the connection from our brain and nervous system to these muscles. Not to say that, you know, all of a sudden I can't fire my glutes. Like a lot of people are saying, well, if you couldn't fire your glutes, you wouldn't be standing up. Um, but there is a, um, there's a piece there where we lose the inability to optimally activate them. Um, so, Super long answer, but um, yeah, just putting putting that together. You know, I I've, I've been helping people again for a decade now, and I needed to help more people, and um, so that's where the Movement Vault app came in. Um, yeah, that's what I'm super passionate about is is really helping everyone, whether you are an athlete or you know you you hate the gym. Um, you know, stretching and body maintenance and joint maintenance is something that we all need to do. You know, it's interesting because I tend to think that sitting a lot and having a lack of movement variety is is almost worse for the runner because you put yourself in this position where maybe you've been sitting down at a desk all day, you're very tight, you lack this mobility, and then you get up and you go for your training session. And all of a sudden you're trying to do a workout. You're trying to even just do like a normal base run and going from sedentary eight hours of sitting to a workout without some sort of on-ramp, without that mobility practice to get you actually primed for that training session, that can actually be just almost more risky for injury than if you just didn't do anything and you went home and, you know, you made dinner and then you just did some more sitting on the couch. Can you talk a little bit about like how, how runners should think about this idea of varied movement throughout the day? Uh, because I, I think it's really helpful that we incorporate some of these principles into our day, particularly if we're training after work at the end of the day. Yeah. So again, yeah, varied, varied movement is going to be important really for everyone. But the runner, if we think about like what running demands, right? It's essentially, a, you know, it's a single leg exercise. Most people don't think about that. Um, you know, it's it's basically you're catching your fall for with every step. It's a controlled, you know, fall. But uh, even with that, you know, depending on running dynamics, running gait, your cadence, all these things that you've probably, you know, delved into a million times here, um, which is extremely important depending on your leg length and all these different things, um, your pace, et cetera. Um, the amount that your hips actually flexing and extending in a, in a normal running gait, it's not very much. You're not flexing it a ton. You're not extending it a ton. Um, you get some what's called ankle dorsiflexion and plantar flexion, obviously, too, with every step, kind of depending where you are. Um, but if you look at that, it's not you're not using a lot of your range of motion. 
And so going back to the principle that your body adapts to what you do the most, whether it's, you know, you work out or you don't work out or you sit all day or you don't sit all day, even your diet, you know, your body's constantly adapting. That's the beauty of the human body. Um, but when we think about that, you know, we, I see runners and this has been talked about quite a bit, you know, we, we see this, this, uh, these patterns of tight and weak hip flexors, because again, we're, we're just, we're not flexing the hip and extending the hip through full ranges of motion. We see, uh, some weakness and inability to optimally fire, uh, the hip stabilizers, the external rotators, mainly the, the gluteus, you know, maximus, gluteus medius, some of the deep rotators, um, quads are, you know, usually pretty tight. That's what, you know, can contribute to knee pain, um, feet, foot mobility. We can dive all into that. Um, and so over time, if you're running a lot, your body's adapting to that. Right. And then you throw on, you're sitting all day, you're sitting, you're, you're sitting in a shortened position with your hip and your, your hamstrings, your body's adapting to that. And so then, you know, that you got this recipe of all these tight muscles, unstable muscles that we just talked about, but you're really good at running, you know, because you're, you're doing that a lot. Um, your body's adapted to running, but when we go into rotation, we go into side to side mo movement, you haven't been doing that a lot, right? Most people. Um, and so you are essentially vulnerable there and to move optimally and to protect your joints and to even be a better runner, you need to have good, um, hip external rotation, internal rotation. You need to have you know, great foot and ankle mobility. And so, yeah, going straight from sitting at your desk all day for eight hours or 10 hours or 12 hours, whatever it is, and then going straight into a run, it can be a recipe um, for knee pain, hip pain, uh, foot pain, just because, you know, your, your body is essentially um, not only your body and your muscles, but your nervous system, you know, where our nervous system isn't ready to just, you know, charge. Um, so that's where yeah, hundred percent. We need to focus on a on a, a legit warm up that includes active stretching and muscle activation exercises. Again, not uh, not static stretching. You know, this makes me think back to my days as a steeplechaser, and all of a sudden, when I decided to train for this event, I was doing a lot of hurdle work, hurdle mobility, and you know, I had already been doing drills twice a week. I was doing dynamic warm up routines. Uh, I was also running very fast, very regularly, getting in that just big range of motion that you get from, from sprinting or running close to your max speed. And it was very eye-opening to all of a sudden more than double the amount of form drills that I was doing in a week. And those drills were a little bit more oriented on, on the, the demands of being a hurdler now. And all of a sudden I was like, wow, my hips actually are not where I want them to be. There's a lot of improvement that can be had here. And, and, you know, since I've had that experience, I think almost every runner would probably benefit from doing some hurdle type drills, even if they're never going to run over a hurdle, they're never going to enter a 3000 meter steeplechase because just the training itself is such an exercise in mobility that it has all these wonderful carryover benefits, even if you're not a hurdler. Yeah. Yeah. I would agree. I mean, some of the, whether it's more of a slow controlled, like hip external rotation where you're kind of bringing your leg up and slowly bringing it over the hurdle, um, you know, whether it's, you know, focusing on, um, flexing one hip and extending the other, depending on which leg you're going to be, you know, is going to be forward when you're jumping on the, over the hurdle. Yeah. hundred percent. Um, I, I totally agree. Now, Grayson, we've been talking a lot about mobility. What is the difference between mobility and flexibility? Yeah, that's a great question. And, you know, it, it gets down to a little bit of semantics, but it's it's an important um, concept to kind of grasp. Um, so if we think about flexibility, that's what most people, I guess, know when it comes to like, you know, how their joints move, right? So flexibility is more of a term to um, to measure the extensibility of a connective tissue. Now that's like super technical. What is a connective tissue? Essentially, it's just the ligaments in the joint capsule around your joint, as well as the muscles and tendons and fascia around that joint. So for the most part, we can just say muscles, right? Like how much can your muscle extend? And so we're looking at flexibility from a passive standpoint. 
And so passive standpoint, meaning that um, our body isn't, our, our muscles are not contracting to move that joint. And so an example would be if you were lying down on, on your back on the ground and I came up and grabbed your, your leg with a straight knee and just brought it up as far as I can go just to see how, um, how flexible your hamstrings are, right? It's a pretty common test. That would be flexibility. You're just totally relaxed. We're just seeing how much passive motion your hip has in that position. Now, mobility adds in flexibility, but also adds in the, the active component to it. So now in that same example, I would, you know, you'd be laying down on the ground with your leg straight. I wouldn't touch you at all and I wouldn't move your, your leg. I would ask you, how far can you move your leg up um, in that same direction? And that would be a measure of your, your mobility or, or more so your active range of motion. And so the big difference between flexibility and mobility is that active piece. Um, flexibility, you're just totally relaxed. You're not uh, using muscles to contract to move a joint. Mobility has that active piece, that contract, that muscle contraction to that you need to move that joint. And so from a movement perspective, you know, obviously you need to contract muscles. You need to use your nervous system, which then fires a muscle to be able to move, right? Um, flexibility, the only thing that we're doing besides looking cool on Instagram, you know, doing the splits or something, you know, in that fashion is um, laying down or sitting, you know, so that's that's a passive activity. And so that's why if you want to get something, if you want to get better at something that is active, such as running or such as anything else you do in your life or in the gym, it kind of makes sense from a first principles and common sense perspective to be working on your joint mobility versus trying to just be flexible. Because, you know, if you just increase your flexibility, you know, that can actually lead to injuries in itself because then you have an unstable joint potentially. Um, your joints are quote unquote sloppy. And so you don't have that control of your joint. Uh, if you have lack, if you have, if you had extremely flexible hips, but you didn't have good, again, hip mobility or stability, then your knee can kind of go all over the place, get a little bit more rotation in it than it should. And then you end up with a meniscus injury, which is, which is pretty common. So the main differences are the, the active contraction piece. Yeah. I think this whole idea too, of a quote unquote sloppy joint is really interesting because when you think about an elite runner running really fast down the track, they're actually showing incredible levels of stability because their joints are under incredible forces because they're running very fast, but they typically have very high levels of muscle tension and they are isometrically holding onto a lot of, of the impact force of their stride and then being able to release that uh, throughout the running gait. And, and that requires a lot of isometric strength that requires them to then hold their joints in these optimal positions. And, and I think one of the things that we can do just to become a lot more economical is just to reduce your sloppy joint tendencies, to really develop the strength needed to be more stable, to hold those joints in, in the right position. You know, I think we had a, a guest on a long time ago, I forget who it was, who said, you know, you're responsible for steering the ship. Your body is the ship. You've got to steer it in the right way. And I've just loved this analogy because if you have sloppy joints, you're not steering the ship in the right way. And, and I just think that's a, a great way of thinking about keeping your joints moving the way that they should be and then getting stronger to enable that. Yeah, that's, that's a great saying. And I, I totally agree with that because really, again, um, hip mobility, stability is the foundation for everything we do, whether it's just, you know, cleaning the house, playing with the kids, gardening to running at a, a recreational level, running at a high, um, you know, a, a high level. Um, and, and so if we don't have that, that stability, yeah, like you said, you, you are setting up yourself for a potential injury. Not only that, but you're actually decreasing your performance. And like you said, um, when we're running, we've got that isometric contraction at certain moments, you know, whether we're hitting the ground, we've got ground reaction forces coming back up through the ground. So your body has to be stable in that position. And like you said, you know, whether it's a sprinter or a high level runner or just anyone, our, our joints have to 
be stable in that moment, be able to accept those ground reaction forces and to continue propelling us on. And uh, in the case of knee injury, a saying that I always say is that, you know, knee pain is not your knee's fault. Um, and people are like, wait, wait a minute, I've got knee pain. How is it not my knee's fault? Um, so what it comes down to is the knee, the main action of it is to flex and extend for the most part. And that's pretty straightforward. It's got a little bit of rotation uh, in it when, it when the knee's bent. And so what happens is when knee pain comes in, outside of any traumatic injury, um, such a car accident or you're playing, you know, you bad luck, you slip on the ice. Most of knee pain is just due to either an unstable or unmobile hip and or an unstable or unmobile uh, ankle or foot. And so over time, what happens is you have compensations. So if your hip isn't, you know, to your point, moving like a hip should move, then there's going to be another joint close by that has to essentially take over some of the job of the hip. And so there's two places that normally do that. And that's the low back. And so that'll lead to a lot of low back pain. If you have either hips that are super tight or hips that are just super flexible and not stable and mobile, the other one is the knee. And so if the knee uh, is taking over for the hip and, or just a tight ankle, then we're getting more rotational forces on that knee than should be happening. And it's, it's going to exceed the ability for the knee to take those loads. And essentially it's going to lead to meniscus wear and tear, which is kind of the most common thing. And it's extremely common with runners. Um, and so you're going to have joint breakdown over time. You're going to have that knee pain, um, just due to, again, compensation, a little bit more rotation than, um, normally happens in its joint wear and tear and, and that injury occurs, unfortunately. You know, it's funny. We just published an episode, episode 315 about meniscus injuries. And, you know, there was a great quote by uh, our guest, Dr. Kevin Stone. He said, as long as your knee is moving the way that it should, you'll never have any meniscus problems. And it always comes from when you step off a curb the wrong way, or if your knee is not, you know, moving the right way because of some, you know, prior injury that's causing some, you know, uh, compensation with your gait. So it, it, it's nice to hear that uh, you're in agreement as well. So with, with all, the, all that we've been talking about mobility, let, let's actually talk about how to add mobility into our training for, for runners. You know, like what are some of the best practices for, for ingraining this into the training itself? Yeah. So if we're following, if you are following an effective mobility program, um, optimally you would be doing that before you're running. And again, you know, we alluded to static stretching, increasing injury risk, decreasing performance. You obviously wouldn't want to do that before you're running because you're almost better not doing anything if you're, if your one choice was static stretching. Um, so when I'm talking about before your run, again, that's active stretching, muscle activation exercises, just like we alluded to. And it doesn't have to take an hour, you know, as long as we're doing effective techniques, um, 10 to 15 minutes. Um, if you're really pressed for time, you could even squeeze it in in five to seven minutes before a run. And that's going to optimize your range of motion. Again, it's going to uh, improve your muscle activation, maybe in your hamstrings, maybe in your uh, gluteus muscles, maybe in your hip flexors, your quads, your your calves, your the front of your ankle, your tibialis anterior. So doing that before the run is, is kind of the, the best time to do it. Now, you know, if every once in a while you can't fit that in, um, whenever you can fit in your, your mobility routine is, is okay. Um, the, the, I guess the mistake per se that, you know, some runners I see make is they think they should only run or they should only stretch after the run. Um, now, Again, you've heard me talk about the negative uh, standpoint um, of static stretching. And is there ever a time for it? It depends on how much time you have in a day. Most people have finite time. So I say, if you only have 15 to 20 minutes to, or I should say 10 to 20 minutes to dedicate to stretching, you should be active stretching, period. You know, static stretching should not live in your schedule or routine at all. And again, this just isn't my opinion. This is based off research. Um, and just, you know, the results I've had with athletes, et cetera, but, you know, doing a little bit of, um, passive stretching, if you've done your active stretching post run, just to work on some nice breath work, decrease your nervous system and just kind of relaxing a little bit with not having the goal of becoming a better mover, 
you know, having better hip stability, like that's not going to happen from passive stretching, but just kind of um, adding that in to a post post run. I'm okay with that. Um, as long as you've done the first thing, you've done your homework, you've added that stuff in. Um, so yeah, the best time is pre-run and yeah, you don't have to overthink it. You know, it's like, okay, 10 to 20 minutes, boom, we're going to do it before. I guarantee you that that will improve your run, not only on that day, but as you're consistent with it running forward, you're going to see less injuries. You're going to see, you know, better, your gait's going to improve, you know, you can, you're going to do an analysis and, um, there's cool things happen once you, you prime your nervous system for that run. And, um, yeah, so that's, that's, that's my, uh, suggestion there. Yeah. And, and, you know, I've, I've often, instead of often, I've always recommended runners do some type of dynamic warm up routine before they go running. And it's one of those things where runners are like, do I have to do this? This feels kind of weird. You know, I'm at the trailhead and I'm doing a bunch of goofy leg swings and other exercises that most of the other runners aren't doing. But I will say to a runner after about three or four weeks, you know, they get used to it. They develop it as a, as a habit. It becomes more of a a regular habit for them. All of a sudden they just feel so much better on their runs compared with previously. And, you know, I experienced this just yesterday. I went to, I drove up to Boulder. I did a group run. It was pretty early in the morning at seven o'clock and I was about five minutes late. So they were almost starting right when I got there. I did about 30 seconds of random exercises before I started the run, which was not sufficient. And I felt terrible for the first mile and a half. And once you get into the habit of doing that dynamic warm up, it is such a substantial game changer in your training that I don't think you'll ever go back to 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 never doing any kind of warm up routine before you go running. Um, now, it, so it sounds like mobility can very much be addressed by doing a good ten, maybe up to twenty minute warm up routine. Uh, I had a <laughs> I had a, a pro runner on who who loves one hour warm up routines. That might be overkill. Uh, although I will say I think the more intense and challenging a workout is going to be, the more important that warm up is. But probably don't need to do an hour. Uh, let's talk about some other ways that you can build mobility into your training. You know, like me as the running coach, I often think of the training itself as an important contributor to mobility. So for example, you know, hill workouts, uh, running very fast. So incorporating things like strides or even fast workouts are all going to increase your range of motion and force you to run in a very different way than if you were doing all your running at an easy effort. Uh, strength training is also a wonderful way to build your mobility in a way that I think is very functional that is, you know, a way that focuses on movements rather than on, you know, your individual muscles. Because if you're doing those compound multi-joint lifts, like a bench press, a deadlift, a squat, you're getting, you know, you're targeting multiple joints and you're, you're doing these big full body movements that I think are just wonderful for mobility. So maybe you can talk about some of those other ways that, that mobility can be trained for the runner. Yeah. So if we even look at runners at the highest level, so if we talk about sprinters, right? Um, Because obviously we've got, you know, very short, intense type of runs, and then we've got longer, slower, still intense for most people, but, um, you know, a lot less intense. And so if we look at these athletes that are training on that level, they're all doing some type of strength work at, you know, in some capacity. Sprinters are doing a ton of, you know, weight training, obviously, um, lots of muscle endurance, not so much burning a ton of calories. It's hard to, you don't want to be too muscular, obviously for efficiency when you're running. Um, but yeah, like you said, um, varying up, whether it's uphill downhill is going to change the demands on the joint, whether it's your ankles or your hips, or even, even your whole upper body, the way you're rotating throughout your, your upper body and your arm swing, et cetera you want to add in those, you know, variable training modalities, um, side to side work, even doing, um, you know, more side to side. We're not even talking about like weighted stuff, but just doing some shuffles, a whole bunch of different shuffle work we can do, um, whether it's fast or slow. Um, so yeah, hundred percent agree on that, you know, doing 
all types of of running, whether it's fast, slow, working on different ranges of motion. And then once we get into the gym, yeah, 100% um, adding in some type of strength work is going to you know benefit most people, um, depending on what your level of a runner is and what your goals are. Um, I think it should be at least a small percentage of your training. Um, but again, what I would stress people on instead of just doing a ton of different lunges, you know, a bunch of different lunge variations going straight forward and, and squats and, you know, say bench presses. So those are all again, in the sagittal plane of motion, that's just straightforward. And I'm not saying I'm against those things. I think those are great. Um, but I would, if I were to program, you know, an optimal, uh, strength training, uh, program for someone that their goal was to be a better endurance runner per se, we would do a lot of rotational work, whether it's full body rotation, we're doing a whole bunch of different chop variations um, with some um, either bands or cables or just rotational movements through the legs. So like more of a um, a Kazakh squat versus just a, a straight up lunge, or maybe we're doing a, a curtsy lunge or a curtsy squat instead of just a basic lunge. So we're we're, we're moving in rotational ranges of motion. And again, that's going to lead to a more stable hip. And when it comes to, you know, doing these exercises in the gym, one of the ways you can maintain, at least maintain and, you know, even improve to a certain extent is making sure you're doing the range, the exercise through the full range of motion. Because again, your body is going to adapt to what you do the most. And so say you are doing a squat and, your current mobility level allows you to squat down such that your your thighs are parallel to the ground while still maintaining good form because you always want to stay within your current mobility level because if you go past that then again that's going to cause compensation in other areas of the body because if your hips can only move till they can move and you're trying to demand more of it it's got to come from somewhere right in that case it's either going to be the knees or the low back um but with that said, as long as you're using your uh, current mobility level kind of bandwidth, if you will, um, that's going to be a way to maintain your current range of motion and potentially improve it a little bit. Um, I, so if you did the opposite, if you just did, say, 70% of your current um, range of motion in a the squat, then eventually over time, again, your squat depth will probably decrease due to that's what you're doing most of the time. So your body adapts to it. Yeah. This all reminds me of that great quote that I, I like to tell runners, you know, I love telling runners not to think of themselves as runners, but as athletes that specialize in running. So, you know, it might just be semantics, but I, I think it's just a wonderful reframe of the idea that, look, you don't just run, you've got to do a bunch of other things in your training so that you are stronger, you're resilient, and you have the mobility to run really fast in a way that's going to keep you healthy in the long term. Um, can we talk a little bit about, you know, certain types of runners that might need to focus more on mobility than others? You know, are there certain categories of runners where, where you might say, you actually need to focus on this a little bit more than say this runner over here? Yeah, great question. Um, so I would say, A, obviously, I think everyone should be, whether you're a runner or not, basically maintaining their joints in the form of, you know, again, active stretching. So everyone should be doing it. Um, but with that said, when it comes to runners who should be, you know, I guess working on it a little bit more or making sure they do it, not making that excuse like, oh, I know the, you know, the benefits of stretching, but yeah, I'm not going to do that. And um, I've heard that story so many times until it catches up to them. And all of a sudden they're, you know, even 45 and all of a sudden they need a, a knee replacement. And, you know, what happens is, um, you know, we talk about that. And the thing I hear most often is, man, that surgery sucked. And number two, I wish I would have been stretching earlier. So it's like, we can get away with a lot as humans until we can't, you know, we can eat that Big Mac three or four times a week for so long until we can't, right? And same thing with the joints. Your 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 body's an amazing um, structure, and uh, we we still don't know so much about the body, but we do know that it's pretty resilient, right? We can do a lot of things. Um, so that's that's the thing is like 
we need to be preventative. We need to focus on that. Not, not to even prevent pain and injury, but think about it from a performance standpoint. You're getting both. You're getting that decreased injury, decreased pain, and increasing performance. And so when it comes to the runner that needs to focus more, um, you know, if you are just getting into running, running later in life, um, say you're, you know, 40, 50, even 60, um, or older, and you've never really say ran, maybe you did some, you know, workouts in the gym, maybe you didn't work out at all because what's great about running is, you know, it doesn't require the gym, you know, it doesn't require a gym membership. It doesn't require all this equipment. You can just put on your shoes and do it. And it's amazing. Um, I love running for that standpoint. And, you know, we could go into all the benefits of why running is amazing. Um, but with that said, you have, depending on your age, 30, 40, 50, 60 years of most likely sitting at a desk, accumulating those tight muscles and tight joints, whether it's your upper back, whether it's, you know, a, a quote unquote weak and unstable core, uh, weak hips, tight hips, all those things. And then all of a sudden you demand your body do something such as running, whether it's even just a light pace and maybe a, a short distance, but you're going from zero to 100 very quick after your body has adapted to decades of essentially doing zero. Um, so that's super important, whether you're a runner or you're just getting into the gym, et cetera, is you've got to realize that you've accumulated this decades of tight muscles and tight joints that we need to undo um, to get your, your joints in proper uh, positions to be stable, mobile, all those things that we talked about. So that's, that's number one. And number two, um, if someone is, you know, really has extreme goals, I wouldn't even say extreme, but high goals, you know, they're, they say, um, whether it's maybe you're trying to do your first marathon, uh, or even half marathon, or maybe you've done a hundred marathons, maybe you're doing ultras at this point or whatever you're doing, you're, you're putting a lot of demand on your body is basically what I'm saying. Um, then you need to do some extra steps to really ensure that you are optimizing your joint range of motion. Um, because the more demands you put on the body, cause just like working out, running is a stressor. Um, and so in the appropriate dose for you at that time, as long as you're recovering, you're going to have a net positive. Um, in the case of running, you know, you're going to, your body's going to adapt, your joints are going to adapt. You're going to, uh, you know, hopefully be able to run a little bit faster in that same distance, or, you know, you'll be able to run more distance, um, just like working out, you know, uh, if we're, if we have the appropriate dose as we're say doing squats or bench pressing for us at that time, our body's going to recover. We're going to get stronger, faster, all these things build muscle, but if the dose is inappropriate, obviously it can be a net negative. And so to stay in the game, we need to make sure that we're not getting injured, right? So if we are that high level athlete that has high goals of, you know, I'm running a marathon every other month or every month, or maybe it's my th first marathon, whatever it is, then you need to make sure you're staying in the game because you might be able to run that. This, this is a running joke, that sprint, you know, and just like, I don't care. I'm just doing everything. I'm training hard. You know, I'm not worrying about my sleep. I'm not stretching. I don't have time for that. I'm just trying to run this marathon. All I'm doing is running, run, 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 run. You know, you're not doing, you're not checking all the boxes that somebody that's training in a, in a, a, a well-programmed and thoughtful and smart way uh, would do, you know, you want to train smarter, not harder. And so that will catch up to you. And I've, I've seen it way too many times um, in my clinic and, you know, working with people all over the world is they're training hard. They start to ramp up their training for whatever their goal is. Maybe it's only a 5k, you know, it's their first 5k they're doing and they're not again, checking those other boxes, boom, they get knee pain, hip pain. And all of a sudden they're like, man, I can't even make the race. And so now they're on the sidelines. They're not even in the game. And so, you know, if you have those high goals, you need to check those boxes, make sure that you're, cause you want to do this for long time, right? You're not in that sprint. Oh, I'm just going to do, you know, one 10 K and then I'm never going to move again. No, you're probably, you know, going to enjoy running and continue wanting to do it. And, you know, hopefully maybe do a little bit more or a faster time, or maybe you dabble into running for a certain period of time. And then you get into weightlifting or you get, you know, you, you want to be active as a human because humans were meant to move. And so, um, yeah, that's, I guess the, the two main pieces there is, uh, three, really. Everyone should be working on mobility. If you're kind of the older athlete that's accumulated a lot of sitting, um, 
sedentary stuff, you should prioritize it a little bit more. And then if you have really, um, you know, kind of high achieving goals, which is amazing, I love that, then we need to make sure we're checking some of those boxes. And one of those boxes is joint mobility, uh, active stretching. Yeah, I, I really think that I've previously been such a big supporter of dynamic stretching and mobility work because it reduces your injury risk and it improves your performance. But the older I get, the more interested I am in its potential to increase your longevity in the sport. You know, I'm at the point where I'm probably not going to run another personal best, but that doesn't mean that I'm going to stop running. I want to keep running for decades and decades more. And to do that, I need to keep myself healthy. I need to be able to make sure I'm feeling good enough where I can go for that group run, meet a buddy for a trail run, and just keep participating in the sport. I sort of think of it as, you know, an infinity game where the goal isn't to win the goal. You know, it's like, you know, that hypothetical runner you mentioned who just wants to run that one 10 K and then they're not going to move forever. That's not really how running is for most people. It's an infinity game. It's a game that you just want to keep playing forever. That's the goal. And if you're not taking care of your body in this way, it's probably, uh, a very time limited game that you're enjoying. Now, Grayson, I want to ask you about cross training. How do you look at other forms of aerobic cross training that runners might engage in things like pool running, cycling, the elliptical? How do you view those as tools for mobility? Because it's certainly a different movement pattern than we're used to. But at the same time, most of those forms of cross training are still moving in the same plane of motion that we are when we're out there running. Yeah. Um, I would say when it comes to cross training specifically for the runner, you know, there's, when it comes down to sports physiology, um, and, or exercise physiology, it's, you know, you, you, you train like you're going to play, right? Like, you know, sports specific training, that's kind of as a theme that's always come up in uh, sports physiology, um, exercise science. But with that said, um, I, I'm a fan of like pool work. Uh, for sure. When I was working with, uh, again, the NFL and MLB guys, we had certain days in that week that were just pool work. And so we would do all types of, whether it's like dynamic skipping type of motions in the water, whether it's high knee work, you know, butt kick type of stuff, um, all kinds of different um, protocols as far as pool work. I'm all for that because that's a day where we can offload the joints a little bit. And it's almost more of a it's a little bit more than active recovery. It's kind of that in-between state. Um, now, when it comes to cycling, when it comes to the elliptical, when it comes to, you know, the rowing machine, um, you know, I guess you could throw in like the stair stepper. Those are kind of the the other big um, kind of cross-training cardiovascular tools that we can use. Um, if your goal is specifically to be a better runner and you're already say doing a little bit of strength work on the side, um, and doing your mobility, I don't see a, a huge place for some of these other tools to use. Um, I wouldn't say don't do it out of those, those four, you know, the four things that I listed, I would say the rowing machine, maybe the most, because you're, you're working through at least more of a full range of motion, um, through the hips, you know, that's, it's essentially like a, a deadlift in a way. Um, Cycling. Now, if you're a triathlete, obviously you're, you definitely should be uh, hitting that bike. Um, I'm okay with some cycling every once in a while. Again, it's, it's a relatively small range of motion, you know, through the hips, hip flexion, extension, uh, stair steppers, you know, not a big fan. And I mean, if you really love to do it and you're throwing in an, you know, a little bit into your training, Hey, go for it. I always tell people find what you love to do and let's do that most often. Cause you don't want to dread training, right? I mean, this is supposed to be fun. Um, so, you know, I, I'm a fan of, if you really love to do it, throw some stuff in there. But if we're talking about like optimal training and trying to like come up with the best comprehensive training protocol to not only have you perform at your best, but like you said, have that longevity where you're not dealing with pain and injury. Um, I would say different forms of running, like we said, uphill, downhill, some sprint work, some longer distance runs, whether, you know, whatever your, your training's looking like in that fashion, as well as a little bit of strength work, doing your mobility, um, is going to be the, the, the staples there. But 
you know, throw in some pool work, you know, make it interesting. I think, you know, varying it is going to help quite a bit. Can you give us some examples of maybe some active stretches that you particularly like specifically for distance runners? Yeah. So for distance runners, you know, typically again, it's going to be the, the, the weak and tight, uh, hip flexors, right? It's going to be the hamstrings are almost always going to be pretty tight for the most part. Um, we're going to have that weakness slash potentially tight, um, external rotators of the hips, such as the glutes. So the first thing is, and we can even kind of talk through this here. Um, I wish I had a, uh, um, something by me here, but if we'll talk through a stretch here for the hamstring. So even talking through like what an active stretch is and how is, how it's different than static stretching and dynamic stretching. And I'm a fan of dynamic stretching, um, but it is different than straight up active stretching. Um, and so if we were to look at the hamstrings, if we were, I'm not sure how my cameras for the people that are watching this, nah, it's not going to work. Um, so we'll, we'll just talk through it. So if I were to put my leg on say a bench or a box or my couch and my, my leg is straight, and then I would kick my hips back such that I feel that stretch in my hamstrings. It's a pretty common stretch, right? Like you're at the park, you put your heel on a bench, your leg is straight, uh, you're standing up and then you kick your hip back till you feel that stretch. Maybe you reach down for your toes that's that's a very common hamstring stretch per se, very common in the you know running community. Um, and so then you would just relax and you'd hold that. That would be a static stretch. Again, that's what I'm saying is not effective. And so how we would turn that into an active stretch is we would start with that same setup. We would put our heel on that on that bench, get into a maximal stretch. So that's the key. We want to make sure our joint is maximally stretched out. And then what we do is we contract those hamstring muscles while they're maximally stretched out. So how we would do that in this instance is we would drive our heel down into that into that bench and that's going to contract those hamstrings while they're maximally stretched out. And so depending on our goals at that time, we would hold that for 10, 20 seconds. Um, that's typically the duration. It's going to be a shorter duration because you're, again, you're contracting a muscle right now. You wouldn't be able to contract that muscle for two minutes straight you know, you'd fatigue. And so we would start with a certain contraction intensity. Maybe we'd, on the first rep, we would do 50% uh, intensity. And as we started to do maybe rep four, we would be 100% uh, intensity. So I'm literally driving my heel down into that bench as hard as I can go. My leg is shaking um, from the intensity that I'm giving. And so we're doing, what we're doing there is we're improving the the hamstring and the hips uh, strength at your end range of motion, improving that end range stability. And so that would be, you know, there's there's a bunch of different variations we can do for the hamstrings, but that's kind of one example. Um, and we'll even sometimes contract muscles on the other side of the joint. So in that example, if I were to drive my my leg down into the bench for 20 seconds, after that 20 seconds, I would then flex my quad, I would straighten my knee, <clears throat> excuse me and then i would lift up my leg contracting my ham or my uh, my hip flexor muscles and i would hold that for 10 seconds so now i'm contracting my hip flexors while they're in a shortened position because if we look at i'm getting a little technical here if we look at any muscle in the body we're always going to be the strongest in the mid range motion so an example we could look at is the bicep because that's an easy easy uh, example to use when we're in our our mid range of motion. So my, say my my elbow is bent to a 90 degree angle. I'm going to be the strongest right here. It's just, that's how it is. That's how muscles work. It's the kind of, um, the physics behind it. But when I'm maximally shortened, so if I brought my, um, my hand closest to my shoulder, I'm going to be weaker here. Uh, this is going to be my weakest spot when it's maximally shortened. And it's going to be weaker when it's maximally lengthened as well, when I, my elbow is fully straightened. And this is if you've done a squat, um, when you're in the bottom position, if you've ever failed on a squat and you had to kind of bail or needed a, a spotter to help you, if you're doing a bench press or a push up, it's always hardest once you're in the bottom. That's because your muscles are in a shortened position and they have the most, you know, the, the least strength there. And so with active stretching, we're actually counteracting that. We're getting stronger when your joints in its lengthened position and shortened position. And so again, that's going to improve so many things from performance and injury risk. 
Now, are we ever going to get our hamstring as strong in the end ranges as it in as it is in the middle ranges of motion? No, we just we won't do that. But you improve it, and so a lot of injuries happen when you are in your end range. So if you're if you're sprinting, you're going full on out. You know, you're you're getting you know as much leg flexion and extension as you can with each stride. It's not usually going to be in the mid-range of motion that you're going to, you know, tear a muscle. It's going to be when you're maximally extended or maximally flexed. And so if we can counteract that, that's great. So that's for the that's the the hamstring. So hip flexors, um, a bunch of different um ways we can do that. You know, most people are are familiar with the hip flexor classic stretch, half kneeling. I'm going to talk you through this again. Say, you know, you've got one knee down on the back, you've got one leg forward. We're just kind of like you know, in that position, we're going to squeeze our glute and kind of get that hip flexor stretched out. Again, that's that's a passive stretch. Um, it's a static stretch. And so we could turn that into an active stretch. So with that one, what we would do is we would get into that half kneeling position, one knee down, one leg forward, kind of like a lunge position with the knee down. And then once we are in our maximal stretch without arching our back, then we would contract our hip flexor muscle. So it's the same principles as the last stretch. So the, the hip flexors are stretched out. Then we're going to contract the hip flexor muscles by thinking about dragging your hip forward, right? Because you, you've got your weight on your, on your back leg. Hopefully you're on a mat. I always tell people, you know, you should be on a mat if you're doing uh, stuff like this. And then you're going to contract it as you're dragging your hip forward. You're going to hold that for 10 to 20 seconds. And then that's kind of the the hip flexor piece there. The hip uh, external rotators, external rotators slash glutes. The ninety ninety position is an amazing position, um, you know, for active stretching. Now the ninety ninety position, you know, you might have seen it on you know social media, etc. It's where you're kind of sitting on the ground. You've got your your knee bent to ninety degrees. Your front leg is straight forward. You've got your back leg kind of coming straight out to the side. And then your knee bent to 90 degrees as well. That's why they call it the 90-90. And then your, your, your upper body, you would hinge at your hips downward until you feel a maximal stretch in the glute. And then from there, you're going to actively drive your leg down into the ground. Again, contracting your gluteus muscles while they're maximally stretched out. You're going to hold that for a period of time, uh, et cetera. And so those are the big ones, I guess, for the hips. And then we could apply those same principles to calves as well. Um, and, or even the front of the ankles. Cause you know, a lot of runners just focus on their calves. We need to focus on the tibialis anterior to get the front of the ankle strong as well. It sounds like a big principle here to active stretching is that you, you want to include some type of isometric muscle contraction in the stretch, because that's going to really activate the muscle activate the whole neuromuscular pathway as well. Is that right? Am I, am I wrapping my head around this correctly? hundred percent. Yeah. It's, it's a little difficult to just kind of talk it through it. Um, it sounds, I'm making it sound a lot more complicated than it is. You know, if I, obviously if I was taking you through it, we'd be able to do it a little bit more, but yeah, you're, you're exactly right. Um, active stretching is basically just different variations of N ice N range isometric contractions. And so again, at different intensities, different ranges of motion. And so we'll couple that with what I call muscle activation exercises. And that's similar to the active stretching piece, but instead of being an isometric, now we're actually contracting a muscle and moving the joint through a full range of motion versus just doing an isometric contraction. So, yep, you're right on, um, you know, kind of going back to our, our, point we made before about isometrics when we're running isometrics are you know that's where the gold's at yeah and and i know it can be hard talking through a lot of these exercises um you have an app called movement vault which i assume goes through these exercises with with actual video demonstrations yeah so it's the it's the movement vault app so it's uh movement v-a-u-l-t and um yeah it's a this basically all we do is we do active stretching, muscle activation exercises, and it's uh, it's a new video, a new stretching routine every day. Um, and so it's anywhere from 10 to 20 minutes long. And again, we incorporate the active stretching, muscle activation exercises. We throw in some muscle and fascia release stuff in there as well. And um, yeah, most of our users that use it, you know, all over the world, they do that daily stretch every day. Um, but we also have, you know, 1500 plus other different uh, 
classes to choose from. But yeah, it is video follow along. We also have uh, multi-week pain and injury programs, such as our 16-week low back pain program. We just launched an eight-week plantar fasciitis program, which is you know super applicable to the the running community. So yeah, it's basically um, whether you're looking to prevent uh, pain or injury or optimize your performance, or you unfortunately do have pain or injury using the the pain and injury programs, Movement Vault app is is kind of the one-stop shop for you. Well, cool, Grayson. This this is really interesting for me to learn a little bit more about, you know, the, the specifics of active stretching and how we can build a lot of these principles into our training. So uh, I hope our listeners check out the Movement Vault app if they're struggling with their mobility or just want to build more of it into their training. Uh, is there any other places that you want to direct folks to follow along with your work somewhere online? Yeah. So I, I think, uh, you know, you can, you can learn more about uh, what we do at movementvault.com. Again, that's V-A-U-L-T.com. Um, you know, you can check out the app store as well. Um, we're, we're fairly um, active on social media. So Instagram, you know, Facebook, TikTok, all those good things. Um, but yeah, the app's kind of the, the main source there. Awesome. Well, we'll have links in the show notes on the Strength Running site if folks want to check that out. Grayson, thanks for being here. Thanks for your expertise. I really appreciate it. Awesome, Jason. It was a pleasure and uh, thank you so much. And that's our show. Thank you for listening. And if you'd like to pay it forward, please rate and review the show, share it with your running friends or club, or you can invest in a training program at strengthrunning.com slash coaching. And don't forget, you can download a free guide to our standard warm-up routine at strengthrunning.com slash warm-up. It's about a 10-minute active stretching routine, a collection of strength exercises and dynamic stretches that you can do before you go running that primes your body for the act of running. Get the guide at strengthrunning.com slash warm-up. You can also support the show by supporting our sponsors. By using their links and discount codes, you'll not only support the podcast, you'll support our sponsors and indicate to them that they should continue sponsoring the show. First, get yourself 15% off your first purchase at Prevenex.com with code Jason15. You've been listening to this podcast this year. You've heard me talk about Joint Health Plus from Prevenex and how it's directly impacted the health of so many runners. Now, their CEO keeps forwarding me all these testimonials. Uh... Because apparently the product just works. It's pretty simple. <laughs> so definitely keep those testimonials coming. I want to share the latest one that David, their CEO, just sent me this week. Matthew wrote in about Joint Health Plus, and it was titled, Definitely Helps My Knees. And Matthew wrote, quote, I've been training for a half marathon, and I had begun to experience bad knee pain, which I suspected to be runner's knee. After the first week with this and regular strength training added to my routine, my knee was feeling good enough to start short, easy runs again, and after a month, I'm back to regular running with an easier pace, and the pain in my knee has definitely reduced. I love it. Joint Health Plus is so powerful because the main active ingredient is clinically proven to reduce joint pain, reduce joint stiffness, and improve joint flexibility in just 7 to 10 days. That's right, just 7 to 10 days which is almost unheard of. It's also clinically proven, not just tested, but actually proven in double-blinded placebo-controlled studies to protect joint cartilage from breaking down during exercise. And you can get 15% off your first Prevenex purchase by using code JASON15 at checkout. Visit Prevenex.com, that's P-R-E-V-I-N-E-X.com. And I'll note one last thing. Prevenex offers a 30-day money-back guarantee where if you don't feel benefits on their product like Joint Health Plus, you'll get your money back, no questions asked. So hope you enjoy it and definitely keep sending in those testimonials. They fire me up. We're also supported by Impossible Sleep, a performance sleep drink to help high performers get the most out of their nightly rest. Impossible Sleep is a melatonin-free sleep drink mix that provides deep recovery while gently lulling you to sleep. You can learn more about it at impossible.co slash Jason. And be sure to use code Jason20. You'll save 20% on your first subscription order. Plus, you'll get a free sleep kit as a welcome gift. Now, I'm a big fan of Impossible Sleep because it works, and it's also very simple. It only has two ingredients, 
with magnesium to promote muscle recovery and deep sleep, and L-theanine for a subtle calming effect that helps you wind down at the end of the day. Now, if you're like me, you don't have problems pushing your limits with work, parenting, and training, but you may struggle to fall asleep at the end of the day. Sometimes I just kind of lay there wide awake in bed, thinking about my to-do list, my training goals, or just stressing out about normal life anxieties that come up. But high-achieving runners have to prioritize their sleep. Sleep is like a performance-enhancing drug. It allows you to absorb your training, improve, and actually race faster. Impossible Sleep helps you optimize your bedtime routine so you can get as much deep recovery as possible. And when you consider that studies have shown that sleep loss can lead to glucose imbalances, increased anxiety, and your risk of getting sick and injuries getting worse, it's a no-brainer to get as much high-quality sleep as you can. Now you can get 20% off your first subscription order and a free sleep kit at impossible.co slash Jason with code Jason20. That's 20% off your first subscription order at impossible.co slash Jason. And don't forget to use that code Jason20 for that free sleep kit. All right, that's our show today, my friends. If you're getting value from the podcast, the best way to support us is to take advantage of our partner discounts that I just mentioned. You can rate and review the podcast or invest in a training program for yourself at strengthrunning.com slash coaching. Thank you, and we'll be in touch. 